Welcome to Experiments vs. Experience here on www.ironradio.org. This is the show where a powerlifter... And I mean, after 18 years of training, I'm only starting to realize... And a scientist... Because no, the, the research is going to back that up too. ...tackle tough questions sent in by listeners. It was the show that was created because science doesn't always agree with what athletes insist they know. Hi, everyone. I am Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition professor and a former competitive bodybuilder. Still serious about weightlifting. And with me today, I have a guest. It's Jonathan Mike. John, why don't you just go ahead and explain to everybody who you are and and why you care about this stuff. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on the show. appreciate it. I'm a PhD student in exercise physiology, a strength coach, and amateur strongman competitors. We've been a strength enthusiast for a long time, lifting over 10 years, and been a strength and conditioning assistant coach at two Division One schools, and uh, currently uh, doing both the academic and the athletic thing uh, together, plus competing, so um, it's uh, good to be on. Cool. Yeah, so I guess today we have sort of two people who are a little experience and a little bit on the experiment side, and just if people are wondering, Fortress, uh, Rob Fortress Fortney, he's going to be on probably next month as well. Um, the Experiments versus Experience episodes, of course, air once a month on the Iron Radio and Nutrition Radio Network. Um, and what we wanted to do here, John and I, is tackle a very, very tough question and one that we have to be cautious about but also be honest about with young people. And that is, are anabolic steroids and other doping drugs, for that matter, really bad are they bad for me i mean interested young men see the covers of magazines they see the dramatic progress made and things of that nature and so we thought what we would do in this episode and again these are only about 20 minutes long is start to lay the groundwork to answer this very difficult question are these uh, medications bad and i'm going to start off this by just saying that medications inherently are not good or evil it's the intent behind them and as we'll find out today the dose and the type and these things go into forming this answer i suppose and probably the best we're going to get to today is does the general media portray anabolic steroid use in athletics accurately and what i what i'll do just to start off here is talk about a couple of things, just lay some groundwork, and, and John, you can jump in anytime you want, but um, we need to talk about a couple of things. One is dose. Like, how much do athletes take, the ones that do choose to use anabolic steroids? How much is necessary to get wild muscular hypertrophy like you see on the cover of certain bodybuilding mags? Another one is is side effects. It always comes up, and there are classic side effects the media give a lot of attention to from roid rage to um, uh, liver damage to cardiovascular risks uh, and things of that nature. Yeah, if I could just jump in, um, it seems that, you know, what the sort of the drive-by media tells us about these things, it just seems so totally, um, like, outrageous or, like, wildly exaggerated. It seems like, you know, some of the medical claims about, like, anabolic steroids and other androgens and performance enhancing drugs um, are sort of just, it's just, like, crazy. Um, But the the side effects seem to be either uh, mild or reversible or, you know, not life-threatening. 
And if, if you know, the media and, you know, governmental, you know, policies and regulations, if they start talking about, you know, if it's such a life-threatening sort of condition, then, like, sort of the question I pose to people, for the bodies, you know, sort of like, where are these, you know, are people dying or, you know, things of that nature? Let's let's be honest here. I mean, in large doses, androgens are serious drugs. Uh, but what you see on the cover of a lot of magazines and things like that are guys using combinations of androgenic or you know male hormone type drugs along with growth factors, growth hormone, IGF one, and other things. Now they're starting to toy with these um, selective androgen receptor modulators, these SARM. Uh, medications that aren't steroids themselves, but affect the way they work in the body. So there's there's a lot to consider here. And but again, when Jonathan talks about some of the exaggerations in the media, um, some of those things, uh, of course, they're rooted in truth. But it's sort of the shock value you, that you have to think about in the media, also that sells newspapers and sells advertising for TV, uh, you know, newscasters and things like that. Now, again, I'm just talking about as a class of medications, anabolic steroids are not necessarily any more dangerous. In fact, they're probably less dangerous on some levels than other classes of medications. But that doesn't mean that they're benign and they can be used willy nilly. Right, it's like they're they're actually they're actually a class uh, drug um, as opposed to other more let's say harsher drugs like you know meth or coke which would be you know class one or class two uh, scheduled drugs. But um, and, and sort of comparing you know when people say well they're bad and you know I usually say well you know compared to what and it's, it seems that when people talk about these drugs that um, they're sort of comparing them to these other like more dangerous things and it seems. Like, it seems to make more logical sense is that how come we as a society or, you know, as a nation are not focusing on the more sort of dangerous substances and then putting, you know, these less focus on, like, esoteric things, you know, like ripped abs or, you know, chest or, you know, glutes or something like that. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a family member earlier today and there was um, some commentary about, Tiger Woods using growth hormone and how you could see his nipples through his shirt or he was bursting out of his clothing now or something like that. And I'm thinking, you know, my first comment to answer to that was, well, that sounds like the media or someone is confusing the growth hormone with androgens. You know, I mean, gynecomastia, the development of breast tissue, that's the kind of thing that happens with testosterone overuse or anabolic steroid use. That's not the kind of thing growth hormone really does, nor would growth hormone probably drive up Tiger Woods' sex drive to the point that he's going to be cheating on his wife, right? I mean, (laughs) so um, I wanted to get to the dose issue quickly because, again, we're trying to limit these episodes to about 20 minutes, but um, there's actually a very interesting paper, and one needs to realize that a lot of this research was done quite a while ago. A lot of the work with anabolic steroids was done from the late 60s through maybe the mid-80s. And one of the papers was from a a researcher named Forbes in a prestigious journal journal called Metabolism. It's a 1985 paper. And he actually looked at the necessary total dose of of, of a steroid during a steroid cycle of, of, you know, a number of weeks that would cause serious changes in lean body mass. And this is interesting just for knowledge uh, point of view. This is not 
meant to be prescriptive in any way or even suggestive. But I think when young men kind of start to look at this kind of stuff, facts are better than ignorance. And one of the issues here that he was dealing with was there seems to be sort of a threshold dose over the course of a multi-week um, cycle, as it were. And that threshold seems to be around 2,500 milligrams. So if you imagine a 10-week period of use, that'd be 250 milligrams a week. Uh, above that, I mean, the Forbes paper goes all the way up to 10,000 milligrams, so about four times that amount uh, over a, a several-week period. And, and so those kinds of things, you're talking about 250 to maybe 1,000 milligrams of anabolic steroids a week. But we, you also have to be careful. The paper points out there are different kinds, and they have different sort of anabolic effects on the body. I mean, there's many, many different kinds of steroids. Some are much more toxic, let's say, to the liver than others. And anyway, to just a ballpark, and it's very hard to make generalities, but 2,500 to 10,000 milligrams total dose. So again, like 250 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams a week. You're going to see gains, at least according to Forbes, of between um, 5 and uh, 40 pounds of lean mass gain now that's a huge huge amount amount of weight um now one of the things that i find disturbing about that study is those individuals did not weight train necessarily some did some did not so that's very disturbing to me because now you're seeing lean mass gains in in guys who don't even work out and this is the kind of stuff where john i know you and i have talked about before some guys they use anabolics in almost a a recreational way. They just want to look big, have a bigger chest or bigger arms or something. Or even if they want to compete in a local bodybuilding show or something, they overuse drastically and they go way beyond what even the Forbes paper addressed. And, you know, to what end? So you could play sixth in a local show or so you can look good at spring break. So Yeah, exactly. It's just really interesting. I mean, when you start talking about dose, it's almost a question of, well, how much do I take to to I get the maximum like benefits of it? I mean, if we go back, you know, to uh, like you know the early days to where, you know, Dan Duchesne, you know, talked about in his classic text, the Underground Steroid Handbook. You know, more than a gram. I mean, are you really going to get, you know, extra benefits along with you know if you're doing your resistance training protocol and you're dieting right, you're doing everything right? Are really are you really going to get? You know that much more. You know muscle mass. I mean, is it is it, is it really a big difference between taking a gram versus you know, like two grams? You know, every week. Um, and it's funny because a lot of these people are more so like recreational, and they think well, like more is better, or they just start taking stuff because they just want sort of instant gratification as opposed to just sort of steady gains over time. Um, but I just like to read something. This is from a position paper from. Uh, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research from actually this past uh, August of 2008. Um, in terms of like demographics, they just talk about the median age of androgen users is about 29, 30 years old. So with nearly half of them holding at least a bachelor's degree and more than 5% uh, of either self-admitted users holding a terminal degree like a, you know, a juris doctorate or MD or PhD. Interesting. And most adult users of androgens, at least in the U.S., are whites, and they quote like 88.5%. And they're employed by professionals with a yearly income exceeding the general population. And it really, and this is really interesting because the primary reason for drug use among general population of androgens appeared to be related to strength increases in muscle mass and just wanting to look good. And that reference is from 
uh, Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition from 2007, and then Medicine, Science, and Sports and Exercise from Hoffman from 2008. And it's funny because it seems like there's this big stigma of a wall, you know, like every athlete in every sport is really using. But this paper actually states, like, the majority of adults who self-administer androgens for non-medical purposes appear to be intelligent, economically stable, you know, white men who are not competitive athletes. So I thought that was uh, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about just blowing up or, or, you know, a shortcut and things like that, I'm going to make two points. One, um, a lot of that blow up or that rapid gain in lean body mass, even from the research, like the the rare papers that I was talking about, like that Forbes paper, uh, that could well be water. I mean, when you think about fat-free mass or lean body mass retention uh, or weight gain, anabolic steroids are notorious for causing, you know, mineral and electrolyte water gains, water retention so that's not necessarily good looking. When you see some of those guys that don't work out uh, in the literature and, and use or anabolics or were documented, they may not look good at all. I mean, there may be a lot of water retention there and things like that. And the other thing that I wanted to point out with this instant gratification idea, and again, I'm not saying that they're not effective. I think the medical uh, establishment really sort of hurt its own credibility back maybe 15 years ago when they actually denied the efficacy of androgen use because uh, people can watch other athletes or even in recreational settings watch other people become clearly bigger and stronger when they use them so bashing its efficacy was probably a bad idea but better to you know share information like we're doing now but also i wanted to point out that rapid gains like you see whether it's water muscle whatever those are the kinds of gains that you probably will not see if you are clean I think it's one of the, the difficult um, realities, or call it a bitter pill to swallow, if you will, but natural bodybuilders will never look like an IFBB pro. I mean... Oh, no, yeah, no way. And I think the general public needs to understand that. On one side, they over-exaggerate, perhaps, the effectiveness and the and side effects. Um, but also, let's let's be honest, I mean there's two sides to this, right? And again, John, you and I were talking about this. On one side, people think if you take a single injection of something, you're going to look like a bodybuilder, which is preposterous. And on the flip side, people think that, oh, I could be natural and I could just try harder and lift longer and and eventually I'll get there. Well, no, I hate to burst bubbles, but no, you won't get there. Being 250 pounds with 3% body fat is not a natural state of being. And right, it just seems like it's just like totally unrealistic, and it kind of goes back to what she said. You know, people like look in the magazines, and I mean, these guys are either on like a gram or you know plus a week, and you know these you know young recreational lifters, you know, sort of look at that and say, well, if I you know do it, you know, such his such and such workout, his or her workout, then you know in due time, like I'm going to look like that. But one, it's so totally unrealistic, and two, I mean, they're on you know, grams and, you know, grams of stuff, you know, two, three grams of, you know, um, steroids and plus GH and IGF-1 and insulin, all these other things. So, um, and a lot of people kind of go back to what, to what you said, like if they just take like, you know, one shot a week or two shots a week, for some reason they have the mentality, the mentality of, well, they're just going to be this larger than life, you know, cartoon character that's, you know, ripped to the bone and, you know, um, 
you know, these, you know, Hercules walking around, you know, Incredible Hulk. And it just, it just doesn't really work like that. It, it's really, it's not magic. Like, almost everyone really thinks it is. Like, if I just take it, then I'm just going to be, you know, um, super freak. Right. Now, if you look at some other literature, again, from like the late 60s through the 80s, you will find research that's more specific than just gross weight gain. You could look at nitrogen retention literature and things like that. And interestingly, when you look at that, different kinds of anabolic steroids, um, you know, they may vary in their anabolic index or their ability to retain nitrogen. It looks like people retain roughly 20 to 25% more nitrogen. That's a, a unique chemical component of protein, of course, uh, that suggests that they are retaining nitrogen, retaining protein, building muscle. And some anabolic steroids may be more potent than others. Some may be more toxic than others. But again, I, we don't want to go into too many details. We're just going to lay some groundwork today. And I appreciate some of those references from JSCR because that's even news to me. I mean, that it's not so much just young athletes, but it looks like it's slightly older, even middle-aged guys who are just trying to get buff, right? Right, or even just like, you know, just young kids, just, like I said, like wanting to look good. And it seems like if we just sort of um, like extrapolate that you know, in terms of some of the research and references, like it seems like the majority of those are actually, like I said, like non-competitive athletes. Just people just wanting to look good. It's, it's not... Um, you know, just athletes are taking it and then that's it. Like, no one else is doing it, you know. I mean, this could be people, you know, like, you know, 20 years old or it can be people in their, you know, 40s or, you know, 50s or maybe 60s. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely um majority are, are non-competitive athletes. It should also be pointed out when it comes to dose that getting your testosterone in a normal range. So if you can imagine testosterone levels in your serum, in your blood, as a thousand-point scale – Getting in a normal range, say around five or 600, that's not necessarily going to bulk anybody up. When people use anabolic steroids, they take many times the physiologic dose. They take supra-physiologic doses. Uh, this could equate to, again, 250 milligrams of testosterone use. Or There's other types of drugs, of course. People taking Dianabol, you know, 10 milligrams a day and gaining some weight. Or Decadurabolin and, and gaining maybe, you know, five pounds over the course of a month things like that. So there is a dose response curve. And I think that's unfortunately one of the reasons that athletes sort of take that mentality to everything else. The more is better mentality because it's unfortunate, but in a lot of ways, I mean, you could argue some kind of asymptotic limit, you know, of a, a thousand milligrams uh, a week or maybe 2000 milligrams a week, crazy high doses that you go beyond that and not much more really happens. You know, but it's also like helpful to keep in mind, though, too. You know, when you start to really up the dose into like super physiological doses, it's really when you start to get in, you know a lot more side effects. But I've known, you know, some people that take like you know three four hundred milligrams a week, and they're just they're not really making any you know sort of gains. Like nothing's really happening. So there's like you said, you know what what's the dose um, so I can you know get you know max benefits or at least some benefits. Um, and, get, and get the desired effect. Sure. And one of the reasons John and I are trying to be honest about this, of course, is because there are legitimate uses for anabolic androgenic steroids. I mean, it's not quite as taboo as it used to be for middle-aged men to be on testosterone replacement therapy. Again, we're, we're talking about doses a fraction of what we're, we were just discussing. But 
there's medical uses like the sarcopenia of aging or cachectic diseases where, let's say, AIDS patients are losing tremendous amounts of muscle mass. And it becomes very unfortunate when athletes abuse mega doses of these kinds of things because then the legitimate settings where they might help Doctors may be reluctant to prescribe even in those settings, and that's where things become unfortunate, and the media scare tactics actually become uh, damaging, I think. Right. Um, so do you have anything else, John? Um, in terms of uh, like dosage or, or even like maybe psychiatric or behavioral effects, you know, we talk about this you know, topic of you know, like roid rage, which seems to only be present in about 5% of people that used. Um, and this is from the same paper from uh, JSCR from 2008. And it says, you know, none of the controlled trials of testosterone have really demonstrated significant change in aggression at, you know, physiological replacement doses of, of testosterone. And also notes that, you know, it's notable that only a small number of subjects, like I said, less than 5% in controlled trials have demonstrated marked increases in, you know, aggression measures, um, and only with the use of super physiological doses of test, uh, the majority of participants show little or uh, no change. So I thought that was really interesting. It is interesting. And you know what? As we start to wrap this up, um, I wanted to point out something from the experience point of view. And that's that I've been around people who used anabolic steroids and, and competed. I've competed in open competitions myself at a serious disadvantage I might add. But a lot of these guys make a decision early in their careers to either use a moderate amount, say 200 milligrams of testosterone a week for a month or two months or something like that, and then go off and try to retain what they've gained. Or they go a, what I would consider more of a competitive route where they basically go on and stay on. And you could even talk to professional bodybuilders, and I'm sure Fortress would have lots of comments on this, but these guys consider off cycles – to be several hundred milligrams of testosterone or some other drug a week as literally they're off period and their on cycles are much, much more, much more elaborate sort of um, dosing schemes of other drugs, including, uh, like we said, the, you know, the growth factors and stuff like that. So early decisions to stay on, those are unfortunately the people who end up probably with the longer term damage. Like, even if it's just something like hypogonadism, you might be able to, you know, rejuvenate your testicles essentially uh, after a short period. But people who go on and stay on for months and years, those are the ones, you know, th their own testosterone production may not come back. And different kinds of cardiovascular diseases, when, you're, when you never go off, you know, those are the kinds of things where you start to get hit harder. Right. I, I really would think that would be such like a phenomenal research study to do is just do some type of, you know, research follow-up with people that have been on for, like, for years. And, you know, I've met some people that, I mean, they literally stay on either year-round or for years, and they don't really take sort of, you know, like, time off or, you know, come off, cycle off, which, you know, who knows what um, sort of the physiological, you know, responses to that are and what it does to other um, uh, systems. So. Right. Psychological and physiological dependence. Uh, who knows? You know, anyway, uh, just to wrap things up, then, if there's a question, are anabolic androgenic steroids bad? Well, not if you're wasting away with a disease and you need them. And not if you're a middle aged guy who 
has low testosterone levels and are at risk of everything from osteoporosis to different kinds of cardiovascular disease and things like that. Um, however, I think the question we probably can answer today is whether or not the media has an accurate portrayal of anabolic steroids and androgens. What would your thoughts be on that? Uh, I would say no. Uh, they don't really have sort of an accurate depiction of what's really going on. I mean, we could sort of go back, you know, to the early 90s. I mean, there's still people that think that, you know, Lyle Alzado, you know, sort of fell dead over in his tracks, you know, it's his brain tumor from, you know, anabolic steroid use and you know, all the physicians that came back and said, you know, there's no evidence showing that you know, steroids, you know, caused his death. And, and even recently from uh, a few years, a few years ago, the pro wrestler, uh, Chris Benoit, you know, there was like media frenzy, frenzy, you know, for like a week or two, you know, talking about his death. And, um, but, you know, the medical report came back and, you know, no evidence that, you know, testosterone or steroids, you know, played a role, uh, in his, uh, unfortunate death. So, uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I don't, they just don't really have an accurate, um, depiction of what's, what's really happening is with the truth. Well, I, and I'm going to agree with that, of course. I, I've heard people even talk about creatine. Uh, creatine monohydrate as being an anabolic steroid, or people confuse corticosteroids with anabolic steroids. There's a lot of confusion, uh, and people need to realize that anabolic steroids start to become especially dangerous um, when people are using them for recreational purposes. They go on and they stay on, or they'll use them until they basically run out or something like that. And I mean, legal ramifications aside, and as you said, they're controlled substances, and that's a very serious uh, choice you're making to, to break the law like that. But at the same time, I think people need straight talk about how effective they really are, what kind of doses are really used. And, and the, media, the, the media really is not uh, accurate. And I think parents and young people all need to sort of you know understand that, that they need legitimate uh, advice from healthcare professionals or people that are understanding the scientific literature and not from uh, the mass media who really is often more about uh, controversy and and sales and things like that. Right. It's just they just sort of need something that's like fill a story and then that's it. Okay, so there's your answer for today. Again, this is the first of several episodes on Experiments versus Experience dealing with are anabolic steroids bad? And today we're saying, listen, the media is pretty lost. Um, many of you already know this, but for those of you who don't, now you do. Talk to someone who understands the literature. Talk to a healthcare professional. And, uh, and stay tuned to future episodes where we're going to talk about some of the individual side effects, whether it's cardiovascular disease, uh, liver disease, um, maybe even a little bit more about some of the, the psychiatric stuff. Okay, well, that's it for this week. So uh, for Experiments versus Experience, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And this is Jonathan Mike. And we'll see you next time.